Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Pete Kamen of Elevated Hockey. And today we had a chance to talk with Mr. Al Bloomer, a longtime uh, volunteer and, and high up coach in chief for USA Hockey and various other capacities across uh, his long hockey career. But uh, we'll get into that in a second. With me, as always, my co-host. Danny Heath from Project Hockey. Al's the best. He's a beauty. He, he's been around the game forever. Um, he was kind of around when I was kind of going up through, or he was around when I was going up through the USA hockey stuff. And so, you know, I'm wondering if he cut me from a few of the, or from the national team development program and stuff like that. He said he'd check into it for me. So I'll, uh, hopefully let everybody know, but, um, I was pumped to, to have this conversation. Um, and I love that the way he just, I mean, he's a big scout and, and does things and finds players. And he had some some ways that he goes about it that I wouldn't even think to do. And so that's been the best part about these podcasts are all these things that I get to learn from these hockey minds and uh, the story he tells in the podcast and how he does it. I've already told a couple of times to other people just because it, it had an impact on my life. So I'm excited for this one. Uh, if you're out there listening right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. We got a ton more coming. NHL hockey players, college coaches, junior coaches, female superstars. This stuff's been awesome and, and we're going to keep it rolling. But the, the more love that you can show us, the, the better off it's going to be for everybody, I'd like to say. So I'm excited, Coach. Any, anything else before we jump into this one? Yeah, so, you know, I've known Al for uh, several years now, and, you know, he's a pretty smart guy, so I, I'd imagine he probably did cut you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, but, yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, Al has been, uh, this is a good, uh, you know, pretty a pretty big episode for me personally, because Al has been, um, you know, like you said, he's been around the game. He's been coaching for something like 40-some years. He knows, he's been around the game for so long. He knows so many um, little details and he's been really instrumental with me. He's been a real true mentor to me over the last maybe seven or eight years uh, and has really not only like helped me with my own coaching development, but has really opened some doors for me and some opportunities, which I'm forever grateful for. So it was really cool for me to be able to talk with him uh, and really dig in on some of his experiences. And, you know, the reality is, is that the average listener probably has never heard of Al Bloomer, but the reality is that his work with USA Hockey over the last 30 or 40 years has made an impact at some level on every single coach and every single hockey player in USA Hockey across the country. Like he's, he literally developed most of the coaching uh, with along with a couple other guys, developed most of the coaching education program in USA Hockey. He helped develop a lot of the, the ADM um, philosophies. He's been involved with executive boards and decision makings on rules and youth hockey. And, you know, he's a very instrumental figure in USA Hockey. And so even though a lot of people maybe have not heard his name before, he literally has made an impact on the game to the, to the level of every single coach and player across the U.S. Uh, and is still involved with the national program and, and a lot of executive committee boards at, at USA Hockey is still making an impact on the game. So, um, you know, so I, I'm really excited for people to, to have a chance to listen from Al. I've learned so much from the man over the last several years. It's, it's great to give a little bit of insight into how he's helped me in, in his career path. So I'm just excited to get it rolling. So I think uh, I think with that, let's dive into it. Let's see what Al's got to say and uh, and let's go. Let's go. This interview was brought to you by our friends at HockeyWolf.com. If you love the game of hockey or just know someone who does, you need to visit HockeyWolf.com today. 
Hockey Wolf has physical locations in Montana and Washington State, but if you aren't lucky enough to live near one of their stores, you can always visit their website and place an order at any time. They have everything you need from skates and sticks to shower slips and hoodies. And for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, listen up because Hockey Wolf provides some of the best team sales services in all of North America. So if your team needs new helmets, maybe some gloves, boxes of tape, even some warm-up suits and training gear, Hockey Wolf has you covered. So like we always say, go support Hockey Wolf because they support us. That's H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And hey, for all of you lacrosse players out there, make sure you visit lacrossewolf.com too. All right, let's go to the interview. Born in Virginia and raised in Canton, New York. He was a standout player and captain for St. Lawrence University, where he won two ECAC titles, was awarded all ECAC honors, and played in the 1963 NCAA Frozen Four. Upon graduating, he spent his graduate school years at McGill University, playing for the Redmen in Montreal. He was the only U.S.-born player on the squad and still received uh, the honor of being captain and team MVP. He's also the guiding force for the North American Hockey League and AWHL Billings Bulls junior team from 1993 to 2006, including 12 seasons as associate head coach and multiple seasons as director of hockey operations. He's been a mainstay with USA Hockey for over 40 years, including serving in roles including national coach-in-chief, Rocky Mountain District coach-in-chief, director of coaches section, member of the youth council, legal council, playing rules committee, board of directors, and involved in more development camps and national festivals than we have time to mention today as well. Plus, all that is part of the U.S. NTDP as a national scout and team leader for the NTDP U17 team uh, and was also a coach and representative for Team USA and three junior select teams in the Viking Cup. He's currently the USA Hockey Director Emeritus, coaching education presenter and educator, as well as my personal hockey mentor and one of the most experienced hockey minds I know, Mr. Al Bloomer. Welcome to Let's Go Hockey Podcast. How's it going today? Oh, doing great. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, Thanks. this is... This is awesome. When Cameron told us we were getting you on the podcast, I was excited just because I know you've kind of had hands on my career just a little bit growing up in the Rocky Mountain District and you, you're around there and um, you're good pals with my old coach and all that stuff. So it's good to finally get a chance to talk to you. And, you know, it felt like we got the the cliff notes or the the short part of your of your uh, journey, but that was a lot. And so I don't know if you could kind of dig into just a little bit more of, of your background and how you got on the Let's Go Hockey podcast. Well, I, I got on the Let's Go Hockey podcast because I've been pestering Pete, I think. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, actually, my USA hockey career started about 1978 uh, when uh, my wife and I and family were transferred to Billings to open an office for an oil and gas company. <clears throat> and we got into the ground floor of uh, the Billings Amateur Hockey League and, and got our kids skating on an outdoor rink. And very quickly, um, I got involved uh, by taking coaching education seminars. And the next thing I know, I'm an instructor and it kind of grew from there. Yeah, that's fantastic. And now that's how, you know, Al and I crossed paths was through his work with uh, Montana Hockey and, and he's kind of helped 
opened a lot of doors for me throughout my, you know, young coaching career here and, and getting going. But so Al, I'm excited to dive into this to learn more. Uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot before uh, off recording, but uh, I'd love to dive into a little bit more of your, some of your experience and talk specifically about some of your time with not only with USA hockey, but the time with, with the Billings Bulls and, and the, the OZ Fitness AAA program and Billings that you had there. Uh, but let's start off with some of the, the your time spent in junior hockey. Uh, during that time, you moved over 190 players from the Billings Bulls to the uh, NCAA ranks, D1 and D3. Let's talk about what some of those players that were able to make the jump did versus players that you see have their careers come to an end in junior hockey. Yeah, um, well, it was in the early 90s when a, a fellow named Eric Bonanno uh, was interested in getting a junior league uh, going at that time the ushl was going and the north american hockey league were going and they were focused pretty much on the midwest and we just thought that there could be uh, junior opportunities here in the west and one of the the, the leading franchise was billings and uh, bliss littler who some of you know who is now the general manager in wenatchee was our head that was coach. my old bliss was my uh Coach in Tri-City. Yeah, well, uh, Bliss and I go back a long way. He came to Billings right uh, out of the Saskatchewan Junior League, and Billings was his first really head coaching job. And at that time, <clears throat> um, I was a minor owner in the Billings Bulls. Eric Bonanno was the major owner. And uh, for whatever reason, Bliss and I hooked up right away, and I became his assistant coach um, while I was still – uh, working um, in the oil and gas business. We knew right away that being a new league and in competition with the North American League, uh, we were going to have to <clears throat> recruit heavily. And we went at that time into a lot older players. Um, and some of the players, what I will call affectionately high-maintenance players, and that we, uh, uh, we knew to be competitive right away, we had to take some risks. And we had some high-maintenance players in the early years. Um, but the kind of player we were looking for at that time <clears throat> was a player who uh, was a competitor. Um, we knew we would have some discipline issues early on, um, but we wanted a competitor, and we wanted somebody uh, who had had some success um, as a midget uh, player. Um, and that's how we built our team. And uh, once we got him into town, we did a lot of team building. We got involved in the community so that they would buy into the to the logo and to the franchise. And we had some early success. Um, a lot of those early players in the 92-93 season um, <clears throat> did not have the academic background to go on and play college hockey. So as we moved on into the season, we, we recognized very quickly that we had to have uh, good students. And I learned that early on when Jeff Sauer from Wisconsin came to scout uh, our team. And he sat in the stands, and when he saw the GPAs and the class standing uh, of our players, he just crossed them off. He said they can't compete, uh, even though they were good players. So right away, we put academics as a very high uh, criteria on our players. And then uh, we uh, tried to develop a high competitive level and a good hockey sense level 
so that a player could play any position anywhere. And then we uh, had success, and, and the scouts started recognizing, right, recognizing us as a source. And uh, we were lucky to put a lot of players in Division One and Division Three hockey. Yeah, I think you touched on an important part there. We've we've talked about it in a couple of other episodes, but I think the the grade point, the the school part of it for players that have aspirations of playing college hockey, that's oftentimes overlooked, which is funny because you know they want to be student athletes. But I think that's an important lesson for a lot of players coming up into you know that are planning on playing college hockey. You got to keep those doors open by keeping those grades up. Um, well, so we did. heard it from a lot of head coaches, and we had you know the Air Force Academy came in, Denver came in. University of Wisconsin, Lake Superior, and we, they all just said to us, number one, if they can't compete academically in our school, I mean, we can't take them. Yeah. And um, so we pushed that pretty hard. And we had players who had exceptional skill, um, but they didn't get uh, the college scholarships or the college invites. And we had players that had good skills, but were high academics. And they, they got the opportunities. Interesting. So Al, what about, um, you know, I know you had a, a short stint in Billings there with a, a tier one AAA program. Can you touch on that and, and maybe about how that, uh, that program yeah. differed a little bit from, from your experience? Yeah, with I, I learned a lot with that. Uh, again, um, made some mistakes in my life and <laughs> maybe in hindsight, that was one. Um, we felt like, we wanted to have a development program for our juniors and, and maybe develop ideally Montana players at a high competitive level to ultimately move up into junior, our junior program. And that was the original thought. And what we found was, and I think you and I have talked about this several times, Pete, is there wasn't the quality and the caliber of player in Montana to house that team. It was like two or three players that could play or compete at that level. And what happened was, and then you were in a new program uh, competing with some of the Midwestern uh, established tier one programs, asking a kid to come to Billings, Montana. That was a tough recruit sell. Yeah. Um, Colorado had solid program. Arizona at that time had a good program, Danny would tell. Um, and, and Texas had a pretty good program. Um, and then everything else was out in the Midwest. And so we would end up with eight or nine players and you can't compete at that level with eight or nine players on your roster. So it was a good idea, but we just didn't have the, the kids that could support it. But the original thought was to develop Montana players to play and at that time, the North American Hockey League. Yeah, I think, I think you hit it straight on. Like with the amount of tier one programs that were popping up at that time, it would be tough to be competitive and get kids to come into that. Um, like when you're asking a kid from the Southwest, hey, do you want to come to Billings or do you want to go to Colorado? It, it would definitely be a yeah. tough sell. And so I can see why you do that. But just like anything else, it's it's a learning process. And um one thing that we really want to dig into is the logo that's on your chest in USA hockey. And, uh, being from Phoenix, it, it was kind of a far fetched thing that anybody from our area would ever do anything with USA hockey. And 
I uh, was kind of at that age where we, we had a few kids that started to get looks from USA Hockey as far as national camps and national team development program. And then, then there was just a wave and an influx of people all the way to, to Austin Matthews being the number one overall draft pick from, from Arizona. So let's go. But uh, how, how did you get involved with USA Hockey? How did that all start? Well, I'll try to make it a short story, but it's kind of convoluted. Uh, it really started in Billings in the 78, uh, 79, when um, Stan Moskal came up from Colorado to, to teach. A, a, at that time, they were called associate and intermediate clinics. Now they're level one and level two. And I attended that clinic <clears throat> and asked a lot of questions. And after the clinic, he said, came to me and he knew a little bit about my hockey background and asked me if I'd want to be an instructor. And that's how I started with USA Hockey is going, um, becoming a CEP instructor. And um, the other thing that happened at that time was um, we had a pretty successful midget team out of Billings and nobody knew too much about us at that time because we played a lot of our games in uh, Canada. So we went to district tournaments and national tournaments. We were kind of a surprise. And there was a couple of coaches, Lou Vero being one, kind of liked the way we, we played and kind of liked uh, the way we ran our practices. And he probably more than anyone asked me to get more involved with USA Hockey uh, from the Rocky Mountain District. And then it was just a series of being in the right place at the right time, Danny, and just kind of moving through the chairs. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've had the opportunity to meet Lou a couple of times. I didn't know that that you guys uh, that he was instrumental in getting you as involved as you are in USA Hockey. And uh, you know, I think you know, even just when you sent me your bio before this recording, Al, you know, like I always knew you've done a lot within within USA Hockey and given a lot back to the game, but I never really had seen it all in one place like that. The 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 so it's. It, it strikes me about how much, you know, how much change you've seen over time in, in the different roles you've had with USA Hockey. So that kind of brings me to my next question here is, you know, over that 40 some years, USA Hockey's come a long ways and, and improved in a lot. And I, I'd love to get your take on kind of what some of the biggest changes you've seen uh, across the country, um, both on and off the ice, um, whether, you know, good or bad, what, what your yeah, opinion is on those uh, changes? Yeah, are. well, good or bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> A lot of changes um, in no particular order. Um, I think um, USA Hockey has become more uh, cognizant of safety issues now, and a lot of the rules that you see put in place are about player safety. Um, the ADM program, obviously, it's, ten, it's in our 10th year now, uh, kind of solidified the player development and the, uh, learn by doing rather than learn by listening. Um, that was a big change. Um, helmets on coaches was a big deal. I was I was the national coach in chief at that time, and um, that was that that rule was predicated by uh, friends of mine and people from all over the country that had had uh, pretty severe head injuries while coaching teams, and and virtually all of them were experienced skaters. Uh, some of them were former college players and some of them were former NHL players and things happen on a practice rink that, um, and so I think the helmets on coaches was a big change. Um, I think the more recent changes are the half ice and the cross ice for squirts and mites. 
And that's going down uh, with some resistance, but I think it's good for player development. I mean, more puck touches, uh, more kids playing, uh, playing in small areas. It's all good stuff. Um, uh, Another thing that's happened is there's been a more of a consolidation of the playing rules now. Uh, They're clearer, um, which I think is good for for hockey. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the things that – got you know the offside rule has been debated and debated and debated the delayed offside is a good or bad versus direct um i'm not so sure uh but uh i think most of the changes pete and danny have been pretty positive and, and a betterment of the game i would agree and when you focus more on safety as a as a coach who broke his jaw and um just standing on the bench. Like I think it's uh, a matter of time before coaches will have to wear full face masks on the ice. And now, now with this virus thing, it might even be bubbles, but who knows? But I think whenever you look at a safety issue and you try to make it better, it's hard to argue, you know, it might be some of the, I mean, I, I don't like wearing a helmet, but I do uh, because I know it's better for me and it's safer. And so it's uh, yeah, I, th- I think whenever you're arguing about, a rule that makes people more safe. It's kind of a, a terrible argument to make. Probably, so. Danny, one of the most misunderstood rule changes has to do with the checking rule. And that was, yeah. a, ba- that was a battle that I lost, and I've lost several. Um, I wanted to take the term checking right out of the, out of the book and use the word body control. Um, yeah. Because basically that's what we're doing. Uh, we're trying to control the body, and we're trying to uh, manage uh, the ice. And we're trying to regain possession of a puck, and I yeah. think, we, and and I think when we made that rule change, people said, "Oh, they're taking checking out of hockey." Well, in fact, we increased it with body contact and squirts and and mites. Uh, what we took out was the blow up hit, um, the mm-hmm. intimidation hit, um, and you're seeing that at the National Hockey League now. I mean, it's all about puck possession and regaining possession of the puck. For sure. And I, I've been lucky enough to be coached by Jimmy Johnson, who played in the NHL for a ton of years. And he always talked about just separating the man from the puck. Like, I think he barely, barely ever used the word go hit somebody or uh, hammer somebody. And then and then even when I got to, to college and played or played uh, and coached under Mike Hastings, like he uses the word bumps, like get your bumps. And it was never like blowing kids up. It was never running kids over. It was go get your bump, get your bump, get back into play. And I like that mentality because I mean, yes, those big hits are, they're pretty exciting. And sometimes, yeah, I can swing momentum, I'm sure, but it's also going to take you out of the play and it's also not going to allow you to make another hockey play. And so, yeah, I think you're right. And you know, that, that definitely is something that's misunderstood and just needs to be continued to, to help along the way. Um, looking at, at your career, you've, You've done a ton just in the intro. We talked a little bit about stuff you've done overseas. And obviously with being a part of USA Hockey, you're going to do stuff all over the world. And so what were some of your takeaways or experiences from when you got to go over the ponds? Yeah, well, I, I, again, Dan, I was lucky. Uh, I got to go to Russia for a couple of weeks and spent a little time in Sweden and Finland. And I learned a ton over there, uh, particularly, uh, first of all, in Russia, um, I went over there with Mark Tabor, and I think it was in 2007. Um, we spent two weeks, uh, a week in St. Petersburg and a week in Moscow. 
Uh, and I will tell you, there's still there was still reeling at that time from the 1980 Olympics. Uh, but, um, the takeaway I took there was number one, uh, the qualifications for their coaches is way more stringent than ours, and and also their organizations were uh, top down. I mean, they had a plan within the organization. If we could use, for example, Montana hockey. Um, they would sit down and come up with a development plan and the mites are going to do this, the squirts are going to do this, the peewees and bantams and so forth, so that the progression from entry-level hockey all the way up to juniors, the coaches were on the same page in terms of language, what they were teaching at the time, and, and it was all about development to get to the next level. Um, the other takeaway uh, uh, from Russia was uh, – the first time the kids enter into the program, their first year is almost entirely skating. And unlike North America, which we can never do, if the kids don't pass a skating proficiency test, they don't progress into hockey. Uh, that wouldn't work in North America, but no. the emphasis on skating at the entry level should work. Um, yeah, could you imagine parents losing their minds because you tell them their kid's not good enough skater, he's not allowed to play? Yeah, like, I like you got to keep you in skating lessons until you pass. Yeah. But the, the, the takeaway was the emphasis on skating on the early level and less and less on sticks. I mean, they carried their sticks, but there wasn't pucks. It was all skating. Um, the other takeaway in Russia was they learned slow, and they didn't ratchet up speed until the proper technique and the detail of the technique was where the coaches thought it would be. And then they would ratchet up speed until the players started to fail, then they ratchet it back, get them back on track, and then ratchet up the speed. Where in North America, we tend to be quick, quick, quick. Um, and uh, to quote one of my favorite coaches, and Frank Serratore, he says, we're in too, too big a hurry to be horse crap. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, now in Sweden, the, the, the takeaway in Sweden and Finland was the emphasis on development through the age of 14. They don't have elite teams and all-star teams and select teams until about age 14. Um, and you've seen the success of the Swedish and the Finnish players um, in the world in terms of the top-ranked players in the National Hockey League and how they've competed in international hockey. And the ADM has taken a lot from those concepts and try to put it in a North American style. Yeah, that's kind of my next question, Al, is those experiences. You, I mean, you mentioned Mark Tabron, who's uh, pretty high up in USA Hockey, and, and yourself, and you guys both, along with others, have been instrumental in developing the coaching education in, in the ADM and rolling that out. And um, You know, I, I know that, you know, North American hockey, whether it's U.S. hockey and, and Canada hockey or hockey Canada are very different, but at the same time, North American as a whole, that the style is, is traditionally a little bit different than the international components. But do you think that, I mean, you kind of answered it already, but like at what level do you think your experiences with the Russians or the Finns or the Swedes helped influence to, to help create that uh, or solidify the, the USA hockey brand of hockey, which is unique compared to those. But well, I think you go back to 1980 and Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks adapted that more of the international Russian style when he developed that hockey team. And if you go back in history and, and 
you know, he, he wasn't real popular with the, some of the USA hockey leadership. And if you've read the books and seen the movie, you kind of get a sense of that, uh, the way he did his things. Um, and, and I think he had a lot to do with changing, as well as Lou Verrill. I mean, Lou Verrill spent time in Russia uh, studying under Tarasov and brought some of those concepts back of flow, five-man offense, five-man defense. Uh, and, uh, you know, back when I first started playing hockey, it was lanes. And, and I was a defenseman, and I remember my first couple of years at St. Lawrence, if I went in below the top of the circles in the offensive zone, I got yelled at. Um, now, my senior year, things changed a little bit. But, I mean, that was the old tradition. And, and I think now what you're seeing is more of a hybrid style of hockey around the world. Um, the Finns have adapted more of the North American physical style. And I think uh, – uh, but you're seeing when you watch international hockey, it's very skill-based, a lot of puck movement, possession, uh, positioning on the rink and controlling the ice. Yeah, it's fun. I, I mean, I – I was just going to say I'd like to watch international hockey better than like the NHL playoffs, but I don't think so. I love watching, uh, <laughs> I love watching the NHL playoffs. So I'm kind of bummed they're they're not on right now. But um, you you talked about it, all these different types of playing styles, and um, so from a player development standpoint, what do you see successful programs or coaches doing that others are not? Like, are there anything with you kind of being on the inside of things and? looking at things from a different angle, are there, are there some things here like, yeah, the, this team does this really well, or this coach does this really well, and it, it pays off because they've won nine, eight national championships. If you look at the successful programs around the country, and, you know, you can name them, and, and my – I don't want to use the word frustration, but it, in, in Montana and certain places, it, Despite the efforts of Pete and other people, I think I think we're behind the curve because we're still game driven. Um, we're still maintenance driven rather than development driven, and particularly at, at the ages of 14 and under. Um, what you see in the successful programs, and there's several in Michigan and Minnesota, has the high school uh, driven program. I mean, my grandson is in Minnesota, and when he was playing youth hockey I said what, what's your dream he want his dream was to play for his high school team I mean that that's kind of the Minnesota culture um, Absolutely. but uh, what you see in successful programs is that they're preparing their kids for the next level and letting the wins and, and the wins and the championships come with it as they may uh, and I think that's a huge difference um, when you see teams uh, play you know, two or three games per practice, uh, even one game per one practice is, is, is often uh, an anomaly. I mean, development has showed you need two or three practices per game if you really want to develop your players and spend time on the details. And I don't know that our coaches, a lot of our coaches spend time on details. We're macro coaches rather than the details of shooting, passing, skating, so forth. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're dead on there, Al, with, uh, you know, my, in my experience in Montana and, and around the country, what you see a lot of times where the, uh, the programs, it's so like team taught versus the individual taught. And, you know, we had an interesting guest a couple of weeks ago that uh, Brian Rolston of the Rolston Hockey Academy, and he started a whole secondary program as a supplemental training 
these kids in Detroit because they're playing on some of the most competitive teams in Detroit, but these still felt like they could get more individual training. And I think that that's, you know, at least in my opinion, it, that's a key to these, these players developing um, and reaching higher levels is, is, you know, like they've got to be able to, 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 to develop that individual skill. So I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because it's, I think it's such a key piece well, of got it. it backwards. I mean, Danny will tell you, Danny played, at, at the junior level, the practice in the USHL, the practice in the USHL is clearly the top development program in the country in terms of their development um, into college hockey. Um, North American League is, is right up in there with them. Um, but the number of practices per games um, and, and the coaches in the USHL that I know aren't so much teaching structural systems as they are concepts. And how do you react in certain situations um, and ver versus a very standard, systematic approach to power play or breakout or defensive zone coverage? And I think the good programs are more into conceptual teaching, situational teaching, um, and also they're in, into uh, allowing the players to think and, uh, and, and make mistakes. Um, and, and I think that's the way they learn. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think you're exactly right, Al. And I, I know, you know, you look back through kind of your progress with USA Hockey, and you mentioned a couple coaches you've worked with. And, you know, and I'll be pretty honest, like you and I have over the last five, I don't know, five, seven years, something like that, that we've been kind of collaborating here and there. And uh, you've been really helpful in, in my development. And, you know, I'd be curious to hear what, what are your thoughts on, on some coaches that helped um, whether it's open doors along the way, you mentioned Luvero, or, or really like some coaches that you learned from um, that some of your, your thoughts on player development kind of sprang from? Well, the first thing is I think uh, you know, hockey in itself is a networking organization. And sometimes it's who you know and, and where you are has a lot to do with and being in the right spot at the right time. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, and I think, for a young coach uh, to develop, he needs two mentors, one pushing and one pulling. And, and I've been fortunate. I've had a, a, a very uh, interesting group of mentors along the way. Uh, Lou Vero was one. Bobby O'Connor, you may or may not know, was a very Hall of Fame coach out of Edina, Minnesota, coached the national team. He was the coach in chief uh, prior to me, um, and he developed me. Timmy Taylor, uh, I played against Tim Taylor at Harvard, and he was a coach at Yale for 28 years or so, and also an NTDB coach and an Olympic coach. Had a lot to do with my development. Um, Jeff Sauer from Wisconsin helped a lot when I was coaching juniors and, and, and tell, coming in and telling Bliss and I, these are the types of kids that we are looking for. Um, we don't necessarily, we, we want somebody who will compete and who is willing to learn and has a, has a pretty good head on his shoulders. Situational uh, uh, hockey IQ is one of the things you talk about. Um, and then uh, from the National Hockey League, I was fortunate to hook up with Barry Smith. And uh, he, at that time, he was the associate head coach at, the, at Detroit. And I got invited by him uh, to visit in Detroit and, uh, and see how the NHL works. And then ultimately he was the one that got us invited to Russia. So, again, those are some of the ones that come to mind. Um, I've been lucky. 
and and I I say to coaches like yourself, Pete, you need to become a mentor for somebody you think is worth your time, either as a pusher or a puller. Danny, you think um. <laughs> I just appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and, and you kind of you've done some work. I, I want to dig into the national team development program uh, just because I know you have a lot of yeah. of uh, of roots in there. And with me being one of the last cuts uh, for that program, I was wondering if you could talk about the scouting and and how. Yeah. What's who's that? Who's the head coach been? When you were uh, Is it Mike Eves? I'd have to look it up. It would have been like um, 2006 or something like that. Ooh. I'd have to look that up. 2005, 2006. But um, yeah, I can't remember who the coach was, but uh, it was the 1990 birth year. That's my birth year. And so yeah. um, Jeff, Jackson, find Jeff Jackson, he was the original coach. Um, well, the NTDP was an interesting thing. I mean, it, when it first started – it wasn't real popular, and I, I was at that time, I think, uh, a director at Rocky Mountain District, and it, it was uh, a lot of people, particularly Minnesota, uh, were very concerned about it. Um, they wanted to keep their players in-house, um, and it really took off when the National Hockey League began to come in and, and became a, a major sponsor of the NTDP. I think that we realized uh, that for us to compete at an international level, we needed something like the NTDP. And I think its success over the years has, has proven itself out in that not only have we developed some players, but we've learned a lot of, of coaching and player development skills from the NTDP. Um, I was on the scouting crew uh, for several years and, and again, People like Tim Taylor and Lou Vero um, were always saying, hey, there's some good hockey players in Arizona and California and North Carolina and Montana and places like that. We tend to kind of focus on Minnesota, Massachusetts, uh, New York, and places like that. And so our job um, as a scout was to look in the non-traditional areas and um, – and that's what we did. We spent a lot of time looking in California and Washington and uh, Colorado and Texas. And we got some kids out of Colorado and Texas in the program. Um, I've had some Montana kids get real close. And we've had, some, we've had two or three Arizona kids that have been in the program. Yeah, there was, there was quite a few. I think I might have been the first guy to get invited there. Um, John Hines was the head coach of the, the year I would have went in. Oh, yeah. Um, and we, but I mean, there's a couple of California kids on there, but that, that was kind of when it started to tilt a little bit. And I remember a couple like Zach LaRaza, a couple of kids after me uh, that were a little bit younger got made it all the way onto that team. And so definitely is branching out. And I can, I can only imagine, I, I mean, that it's just going to even get any more where down the road, like you're going to see even more and more kids from the Southwest and that Florida area on that team. Well, I was on the international challenge with a U-17 team here in November when we went to the world challenge up in uh, Medicine Hat. And on that team, that U-17 team, there was nine states represented, which to me is pretty incredible. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I've got a soft spot for non-traditional hockey. And so when I see uh, the progress being made around our country, I mean, around the world, but in our country specifically, where players are coming from more and more areas, I mean, that's, Al, you know that that's something I'm pretty passionate about. And, and I love hearing that there's players, you know, I think we've got a, a Montana player on the, the NTDP right now, which even though I think he's more Calgary trained than Montana trained, but uh I forget his name now, but I saw him in Whitefish, and he's a defenseman. He's on the 18 team. Yeah, Sanderson. Um, well, Al, what about you know? What about some advice? Why don't, can you extend some advice to any youth hockey players that are listening that are aspiring to reach higher levels of hockey? You know, you talked about how you've scouted before from the junior level and, and been around the world looking at players and seeing players that are reaching the national team development program and representing Team USA. What's a takeaway for a youth player that might be listening today that uh, is, has aspirations to play higher level hockey? Well, when we're looking at players, and, and even now, I, I do a little work with Bliss and Wenatchee, and my alma mater at St. Lawrence which is really hurting right now. We've gone from top of the heap to the bottom of the heap over the last several years at St. Lawrence. But the, the number one thing we look for in a player is skiing. I mean, it. it you have to be a good skater, not necessarily the fastest skater, but a very good skater, a transitional skater, the first two steps skater, um, a solid on your feet uh, type skater. Obviously, the other thing we look at for these young players, and, and we're experiencing this in Montana. Uh, I just had an exchange with a parent in, in Billings. Uh, his son is 14 years old. And they think, okay, uh, for me to develop, I have to leave. I have to leave home at 13 or 14 or 15. And to me, it's about ice touches and, and individual skills, your puck handling skills, your passing skills, uh, your shooting skills, and your skating. Um, you don't need to travel a long distance to do that. That's just ice touches and being willing to do the work. And the other thing, obviously, is we want to see hockey IQ. Uh, making decisions. And that's what we talked to the coaches about <clears throat> is in your practices, in an hour practice, how much of it do your players actually have to make a decision? How many times they have choices? We become very robotic in a lot of our practices. Go around this cone, go around that cone, go around the corner, come out and shoot. There's not a thought process that goes into that at all. And the, coach, the player is just doing what he's told. So we need players that make decisions Obviously, good character. When I was doing my scouting for the NTDP, I always used to like to get to the rink early and watch the players as they came in the building, how they interacted with their parents, how they interacted with other players. Um, I always wanted to watch them practice and warm up. Were they hard workers? Uh, did they pay attention? Um, those types of things. Uh, and, and I think... A lot of our players, um, I'm not sure how to put it, but they don't have the compete. Um, and, and they operate within their comforts in their safe zone. And we want to see players that will get outside of their safe zone or their comfort zone. Um, yeah. But, and character is huge. Uh, you know, um, so that's kind of a, a snapshot of it. And, and actually, I'd have a little book and I'd kind of check off on things. If you've seen a recruiter's or a scouter's um, pyramid of checkoffs, you'll see a lot of things on there before they get the skill. Discipline, character, 
academics, um, those types of things, and then they get the skill in hockey sense. That that was really cool. Like the idea that you come to the rink early and you watch the kids enter the rink like that. Every kid in this country, or I guess in the world that plays hockey needs to hear that. And so our, our producer Vinny is going to cut that up and make an awesome quote graphic of that because like you never think of that. Like I know a lot of kids when they get to the rink, they're just like, all right, I got to perform on the ice. But if you can't even get to the ice without being a dodo head, you're not going to go very far. And there, there's eyes out there watching that part. I watch them too when, they're, when their team is scored against or yeah. some player makes a mistake. How, how do they react? Do they go over right. and pat the kid on the, on the head or do they slam their stick and shake their head? And, um, and, and how, how does that overall picture the entire athlete is, is important. You learn a lot by watching them in those environments. Um, and, and I did that and several of my scouting friends do that as well. So how would you, how would you toss advice to a coach then that knowing like, okay, I know, I know this kid needs to be, you know, this good at hockey. And we always, I mean, I think with Jimmy Johnson growing up, we, I mean, we did skate at every practice and at the time I'm like, man, this is awful. But (laughs) knowing that you need to skate, like what's a, what's some advice that you you might have for coaches either on the the skating side, um, edge work side. I mean, what kind of stuff do you have for the coaches? Well, again, Pete and I have talked about this, so he's heard it before is how many times in the course of a hockey game, do you see a player skate in a straight line? Not very often. Yeah, not very so often. All the skating that we would do is, is transitional type skating uh, to the right, to the left, forward, backwards, the first two or three steps type skating, um, a lot of agility type skating, uh, uh, working on the edges type skating, uh, those types of things, um, and then the details of it. Uh, if a player, and that's why I like the Russians and the way they, they taught. If a player, whatever – skating skill the, the player was working on if he didn't do it the way it should be done at a slow at a speed the coach slowed it down till he got it right and and you okay. see that a lot on on crossovers it's, it's a one foot crossover they don't use the under skate push hardly at all you see that a lot um you see on, on a power turn they're f- foot positioning is such a way that they have to take an extra stride to get going. If they have proper foot alignment, they'll go right into their end, end of the next stride, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I, I always emphasize, and, and Pete has heard me say this before, is I'm a detail guy. And, and too many of our coaches are, look at the macro drill and not the details that the drill is intended for. Yeah, I think that's you know, my experience coaching with you. I mean, I I think uh, the the development camps that, that you and I have done together are always the most laid out, and and you know the practice plan for the coaches is set well before they're walking in the door, and everybody's got a copy, and and every little detail of every minute of the ice is is thought out, not necessarily planned out 100. percent Like you said, there's open room for creativity and, and adjustment, but there's always you know that's something I've always appreciated coaching with you, Alice. Mm-hmm. Is that you know? I always trust that that you have, have put in a lot of thought and and care into developing those practice plans, which I, I think, think it's huge. I think the practices have to be competitive too. I mean, you have a development practice and a maintenance practice. The maintenance practices, to me, are the three on O's and the four on O's and the five on O's and 
and things like that. You kind of do that to get loosened up, and then you need to go into development, and there has to be some level of competition. And I think one-on-ones tell a lot about a player's skill, and, and then two-on-ones tell a lot about a player's ability to think. And two-on-twos, when, when Bliss and I were forming our junior team and we'd have tryouts, we did some five-on-fives, but most of the time we did three-on-threes and two-on-twos because you could see a lot about a player and how they could think and, and create and, and read the situation. Um, five-on-five players can hide, uh, and, and we did it. But, I mean, when we were really trying to evaluate whether Pete Cameron or Danny could make our hockey team, we wanted to see how he did on a one-on-one, two-on-two, two-on-one kind of situation. Yeah, if Danny and I were going head-to-head, I'd definitely know who would make it and who'd get cut. And I would, uh, I'd definitely be uh, – that's why I'm, I'm coaching these days and not playing. It's, uh, I think Danny would get that nod before me every, every single night. But, uh, I've, you know, Al, we, we ask those questions to all of our guests, advice for players, advice for coaches. But I'm going to throw another – a third ask for advice at you that we haven't asked anyone because I know that you're, you're a builder and you've, you've, you've built a lot of programs and you've been involved with building USA Hockey over the, at lots of different capacities over the, the last several years. So – Let's think about the, an individual association, like a local association um, that's looking to improve their player development or their overall player experience. And what advice would you have for like that hockey director or the group of volunteers that's running that, that program um, for them to improve their, their association or program? Well, you're probably not going to like what I'm going to say. I mean, it's Uh-oh. the way we did it back <laughs> in the day. Um, and, and, and obviously the situation's, were different a little bit back in the 70s and the early 80s when we were building, building Billings Amateur Hockey. We didn't even think about travel teams or elite teams or all-star teams. We wanted to build a big foundation. We wanted the kids to have fun, and we wanted them to develop hockey skills. And, and what happened is all of a sudden now, and, and it, it, it's part of the culture, and that's why we need somewhat of a culture shift um, but you got to build the volume before you can start doing the elite. And when you start doing elite, uh, all-star nine-year-olds and all-star eight-year-olds and all-star 10-year-olds and select 12-year-olds, um, you start to lose kids. And, and, and hockey is a late development sport. If I were to ask you, the, the, the physiologists and the, and the, the uh, people who have studied this game, what is the age where you've reached your maximum development in hockey? It's age 26. Jeez. And whereas, whereas in, in things, sports like gymnastic, that's a young developed sport. But hockey is a late development sport. And so yep. to, to start weeding out kids at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and even 14 is – I can't tell you how many players I've seen at age 14 that you thought, wow, they're a pretty good player, but they're okay. And then at age 21, you go, wow, what happened to that guy? And that reverse has happened. They've been a superstar at age 12, and they're invisible at age 18. Um, So my advice would be in-house development, maximize ice touches, and teach individual fundamental skills at least to the age of 12 and then start into 
more conceptual stuff at 14, 15, 16. And that's not yeah, going to apply in this culture right now, but I mean, that's what you see in Sweden. That's what you see in Finland. That's what you see in some of the really good programs in the United States. Prior Lake is yeah. not. Prior Lake is, 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 is all about development. And one of the things that Prior Lake does in, in Minnesota that I thought was neat is they have their four or five squirt house teams. And then once a week, all those squirt coaches get together and they have kind of an open ice when any squirt wants to come. And, and it's all about skating and development with all the teams on the ice if everyone wants to come. It's a, it's a development day. What, a, what cool. an interesting concept. Yeah, I know we have, uh, we have that down here in Mankato as well where it's just one night a week. Um, it's just all about development. And I know our, our head hockey guy, Marcus Peterson, does a really good job of that. But All right, I got two. Austin Go Matthews. Austin Matthews. Austin yeah. Matthews had a, a lot of opportunity to leave Arizona. Yep. A lot of opportunity. And he was a rink rat. And he stayed right in Arizona till about age 17. Is that when he went to the NTDP? He's a perfect example of the idea of just enjoying the game and loving it. Um, two, two questions for you that you need. That's, they're going to be kind of rapid fire, and we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up here. And um, first question. Most memorable or influential hockey experience? Ooh. I saw that written down. Um, I guess coaching the Viking Cup team with the USA Hockey uh, logo on my chest and the American flag in the stands in Canada for three years was probably the one that will stick with me. There's been several, but that's wearing the USA Hockey logo representing your country is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, that kind of answered the second one, but proudest proudest moment with USA Hockey. Well, that was it. But I mean, we've had several. Uh, uh, but representing uh, representing our country is is got to be there, right up there with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's pretty. Glad special. to hear it wasn't. Yeah. Glad to hear it wasn't cutting me from the national program. So that's good. I had nothing to do with yeah. that. I probably <laughs> just I can't probably, let it go. <laughs> I have to go back and look at, I've got the records from way back then, Danny, and I'll have to go back and I'll bet you your name was on the, uh, on the list that we had recommended the NTDP out of that camp. I, I bet you won't be able to find it because I have a big red cross through it. Big red cross. <laughs> no, but it worked out because that, that year, I my senior year, I got to go play for Bliss and yeah. got to experience junior hockey, and which you don't really get if you go to the national program. So I, was, I wouldn't change a thing. I think Bliss right now is the winningest coach in junior hockey. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I think so too. That's another whole program. I can tell you Bliss stories all night. Nice. We uh, we just came up with a new hashtag after this episode. Hashtag uh, Vinny came up with this one. Hashtag Cut Danny. I think that's going to be close here from now on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, Al, we're, we're oh, keeping it. it keeping it loose here. No, I appreciate that. We uh, that'd be funny to see because because Danny, I know that Al keeps very detailed records. Uh, I would be I'd be surprised if you had some notes on Danny from back back in the years. That'd be kind of oh, funny man. to see. Strong but, skater. Were you, um, were you a nice backhand? Did you play for PS? Yeah, I was. Uh, was one of the original. Oh, I was on the first team there. U uh, sixteen yeah. with Jimmy and Alf yeah. Samuelson and those guys. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. 
Jimmy was a heck. It, I, I'm not even sure where he is now, but he he was a heck of a coach. Yeah, changed my life absolutely. Yeah, I'd have to dig in. I, I know he kind of bounced around from a couple NHL teams, but I know he's doing great, and I keep in contact with Derek quite a bit. So, Derek Eisner, Derek Johnson, his oh, son. Derek. Yeah, his son. Okay, that's it. Well, hey Al, we're gonna we've kind of hit our time here, so we're gonna wrap it up. I, I truly appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your uh, some insight into your your hockey journey and your experience with USA Hockey and and your thoughts and advice for the the listeners out there. I think uh, you know, for me personally, you were one of the first names I put on our prospective guest list because I think. <laughs> Um, I don't think I know that it you was the, it was the first name. It was the first name. <laughs> um, so I, you know, first for, for our, the, for the podcast, I appreciate coming on for me personally. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and dig into it a little bit. Cause you've been very uh, influential in my, my progression here and opened a lot of doors for me. And, and I appreciate the knowledge you've helped push me along here over the last few years. So uh, with that, I think we can wrap for today. Um, if, if, you have any final thoughts that you want to leave? Otherwise, we can go with a uh, with a let's go to to get us out of here. Well, I appreciate the time. It's brought back the memories just sitting here chatting with you guys, and my wife sitting over here shaking her head, thinking, "God, I've been at this a whole bit of uh, this many years." But I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys stay well, and and uh, let's go hockey. Let's, let's go. go. Thank you. Thank you. Huge thanks to Al Bloomer for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure talking with him, getting a little bit of insight into his 40-plus years working with USA Hockey and coaching across multiple different junior and AAA and, and national team levels. and All of his, uh, his accolades and experience over the, over the years, I think it was great diving into that. So thank you, Al, for coming on the show. Uh, Danny, I think we jump into the three stars. I want to hear what your takeaways are. What, what did you have? Three stars the night. One, I love that when he talked about, I mean, this guy's been scouting forever and he's seen, I wonder how many hockey games he's watched, but you know, I, I love that when he talked about when he's trying to find hockey players that he'll come to the rink early and he'll watch you from the second you step in the door till you're playing, then he'll watch you on the game and then he'll watch you leaving. And I think it's pretty interesting to me that, you know, you can tell a lot from a player from how they treat people when they walk in to what they do during their pregame stuff to getting on the ice. Like he's probably got a full book on a kid before he even touches or he or she even touches the ice. And so I love that idea and just how, how, um, how he does his scout, how he does his scouting and how he, he helps pick those players that he believes are going to take whatever team he's looking for to the next level. And so Huge star for star number three. So we're only going to get better. Star number two would be, you know, the impact he's had on our careers. You know, he, he cut me and, and ruined my career. And then he, uh, you know, he's mentored you and helped your career flourish. And so, no, he, um, <laughs> what a guy, what a guy. No, honestly though, what I love about that and what I'll tie that into is just, he's so detail oriented. And so when we'd bring that up and whether, uh, I mean, I don't know if he cut me or not, but he probably has a whole book that he can go back and look from that specific uh, final 40 camp to see Danny Heath from Glendale, Arizona, uh, only double A player to be there, but uh, whatever. Um, but uh, to see, you know, what the notes were on that. And then, you know, moving forward, he's had his hand in a billion different things that USA hockey's produced and the detail that he helps bring to those projects are, 
are why he's been able to sustain greatness in USA hockey for so long. And so second star of the night is just the detail that Al Bloomer has in his life and in the game of hockey is through the roof. So pumped to get to hear some stories and and stay connected. And so star number one, coach, what do you got? Yeah, I think before I jump into this, the, the first star, that, that point you hit there, Danny, the second point, um, he's, he's very prepared and he almost over-prepares. Every time I've ever stepped on the ice with Al, he knows minute by minute the plan and everyone else that's working with him knows minute by minute the plan. So that, that detail-oriented preparation uh, goes a long ways for him. And I think that the projects that he leads with USA Hockey, um, there's a reason that he gets on certain boards and, and leads up certain projects because... He's a, he's a good leader and he, he becomes prepared for those, those practices or projects and, and it translates to success on and off the ice. So I've learned that from him and that leads me into the first star. So my first star is, is kind of what I've taken from Al over the last couple of years. And in this, in this uh, interview is his, his, you know, really strong desire to give back to the game through coaching education, player development and, and coaching mentorship. And, you know, for me personally, I've reaped the benefits of him, his experience in, in giving back to the game over the last six, seven, eight years, whatever it's been that I've been working pretty closely with him and I've learned a ton from him. And like I said, at the beginning, he's opened doors for me and he's really helped me, um, you know, help, and it still is helping me develop my coaching skills and, and my path. And, you know, he helped, he basically, he and a couple other guys created the coaching education program. And, and, you know, he, he, I know that's a big piece of what he does is, is giving back to the game through education, player development and, and mentorship. And I think that that's an important takeaway for the listeners here that, you know, even, you know, whether you're a beginning coach, it's a great thing to find a mentor of some, you know, whether it's virtually like over zoom or, or email or reaching out to people or someone that's in your local association that's been around the block for a while that you can learn from. It doesn't have to be a big superstar or famous name. It's just somebody that's got some experience that you can draw from and they can help with some guidance. And I think that, um, you know, for the older, more experienced coaches or players out there, I think giving back to the game, um, you know, and finding a younger player or younger coach and bringing them under your wing and helping them develop as a person and as a coach and as a player, I think that's a really important thing. And, you know, the reality is, is we're all in this together and that's the way I like to look at it. And that if, you know, if we're giving back to, to the game and making it better, we're going to get better ourselves as well. And, uh, you just kind of start that that full circle, that continuous loop of improvement, and and uh, I think just overall, I think that that's a huge takeaway that I'd like to encourage anybody listening to to think about who who you could work with to improve their their situation. I guarantee you'll you'll benefit from it as well. So that's my first star of the night. Um, you know, that. with that, uh, Danny, you have any other other thoughts here before I, I wrap this thing up? No, you said it perfectly. Well said, Coach. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Uh, but yeah, with uh, you know, with that, I think if, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, you enjoyed this episode or any of the other ones, check them all out. Give them a listen. Reach out to us with any questions or comments. We'd be happy to to, to answer you directly or, or roll those into future episodes. But give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Uh, tell your teammates, coaches, friends about us, and uh, and we'll be continuing along and growing and growing and hopefully getting more solid advice out there to people. So I think with that, a final thank you, Al Bloomer for all you've done uh, with us and the podcast, what you've done with me over the last couple of years, I pr- truly appreciate it. And with that, I think we'll wrap it up for the day and, uh, and get out of here. So Danny, send us off, man. You give me the, the good let's, let's go. go.
Let's go. And that is another episode of the Let's Go Hockey Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in for another week of the show. Once again, thank you to Al Bloomer for coming on and reminding Danny that he got cut from that team every time I hear him talk about it. It's not funny. You know what, Danny? I'm sorry. I'm not laughing. We're doing pretty good, though. Without making that team, I think you're doing pretty well for yourself. So once again, huge thank you to Al. We really appreciate you coming on the show. We want to make sure we thank our sponsors. First of all, HockeyWolf.com and LacrosseWolf.com for all things hockey and lacrosse. We hope that you guys are using them for all of your hockey and lacrosse needs. Finally, Gel Stick Sports. Gel Sticks are the most innovative and best weighted training aids on the market for hockey, lacrosse, and golf. They've got it all. And if you haven't heard about Gel Sticks, you need to go check them out at GelSticks.com. That's G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Get yourself a weighted training aid and maximize your next training session with a Gel Sticks. Right now, we've teamed up with them to offer you, our wonderful, wonderful listeners, 20% off your entire order. Go visit their website and fill up your basket with all of the training aids for any sport that your heart desires. Then use promo code Let's Go at checkout. That's L-E-T-S-G-O at checkout. Save yourself 20%. Get a training product to help you maximize all of your time off the ice, on the driving range, whenever you're shooting in your backyard, hockey, lacrosse, golf, they've got it all. So go to gelsticks.com today and let them know that we sent you by using the promo code Let's Go. So thank you so much to Gelsticks, and thank you, the listener. You know we love you, and we couldn't do this without you, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.